You may be seated. If you would please turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Leviticus. Uh, We're continuing our sermon series through the book of Leviticus. We took a, a brief break last Sunday for Easter Sunday to look at John chapter 20 and resurrection peace. Uh, We now continue with our sermon series through Leviticus, and today we will look at all of uh, chapter 2. Just a brief recap of what we looked at two weeks ago. I mentioned two weeks ago that chapters 1 through 7, you really see the five main offerings laid out for us. Uh, Those offerings are the burnt offerings, uh, the grain offerings, uh, the peace offerings, uh, the sin offerings, and the guilt offerings. And today we will look at the grain offering here in chapter 2. So with that introduction out of the way, let us now give attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and Bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Would you bow your head with me in a word of prayer? O Lord, we come again to 
something that is very unfamiliar to us as we look at a grain offering. This is something that we do not do in our day-to-day routine. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would be near this hour as we uh, dive into this grain offering. And we pray, O Father, that uh, you would help us to see how this grain offering points to how we, as your new covenant children in and through Christ, are to serve you, our holy, pure, and everlasting God. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, Today we are looking at the grain offering, and uh, the grain offering was really often seen as what is called a gift offering to the Lord. Uh, It was an acknowledgement in many ways that God was the God of the harvest, uh, that God was the God that rained down manna from heaven, bread from heaven. He is the God from whom all blessings flow. He was the God who provided for his people. And the offerer, in praise and thanksgiving to God, would offer up the grain offering. Uh, The grain offering, in many ways, was the offerer saying to God that he acknowledged that all that he had came from the gracious hand of his God in heaven. Uh, The grain offering also, though, served in a sort of way as a side dish to the Lord. Uh, The grain offering was often given alongside of of the burnt offering, which we looked at two weeks ago, and the peace offering, which we will look at uh, next week. And the grain offering, which really was unleavened bread, and as we see in verses 4 through 10 here, that unleavened bread could be cooked in various ways, that grain offering was sort of a side dish to that main portion of the meal offered up to the Lord that you get in the burnt and peace offerings where they offer up meat. And add to that, in Numbers 15, we see that oftentimes when an offerer would offer up grain offerings, they would offer a drink offering as well. So really what you see here with the grain offering as it's accompanying the the burnt and peace offering, the meat portion of the meal, you see the offerer giving this hearty meal to the Lord. And with the drink offering, he's able to wash that food down. God, the Lord of the covenant, would be served with a well-rounded, hearty meal. The burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering together, making up a meal to the Lord, was meant to keep the Israelites from simply reaping the benefits of God and his grace to them without ever recognizing who that grace and kindness came from. By offering up the main dish of meat and the side dish of bread and wine, the offerer was proclaiming the Lord as the one from whom all blessings flowed. The grain offering was a declaration that it is God that gives us our daily bread. And that as we enjoy in the things that his hand graciously gives us, we are not to be thankless children, but we are offered him thanksgiving and praise. We are to be grateful for his care and provision for us. And in many ways, that is what we do in our tithes and in our offerings. We are saying thank you to the Lord. We are acknowledging that everything we have comes from his gracious hand. 
And that in many ways is what the grain offering served as, an acknowledgement from the offerer that all that they had came from the Lord. The side dish for the Lord served as an acknowledgement that God is the God from whom all blessings flow. Now, we're not going to hit on every detail here in chapter 2, but there are three things that I think are specifically uh, important that I would like us uh, to gather from this uh, grain offering. First, the grain offering brings remembrance from God. Uh, second, the grain offering brings honor to God. And third, and third, uh, the grain offering brings the promises of God. Remembrance from God, uh, the honor to God, and promises of God. So first, uh, remembrance from God. Uh, verse 2, we are told that uh, the grain was mixed with fine flour, oil, and frankincense, and it shall be burned on the altar as a memorial portion. Uh, the idea of the grain offering being a memorial portion, that word memorial really carries with it the idea of causing to remember. It would be an offering that was meant to cause the Lord of the covenant, God Yahweh, to remember the offerer as he offered up the grain offering. Now, this language doesn't in any way imply that the Lord is forgetful or that he has forgotten his people, uh, but rather Israelites use such language uh, to really describe the Lord's favor and care towards his people. To have the Lord remember you was to have the Lord lavish his blessings upon you, to be within the divine favor of the Lord God, the Yahweh of the covenant with Israel. Consider Psalm chapter 8, verse 4. What is man that you remember him, and the son of man that you care for him? To be remembered by the Lord was to experience the favor and special care of the Lord. So then the grain offering was really the, the, the offerer crying out to God, care for me, bless me, remember me. Now, what I want us to realize here is that this is not the invention of man in order for God to remember them. This is not man inventing or concocting some means of causing God to remember them. Rather, this is God's directive for how his people will be remembered by the Lord for bringing his blessing upon his people. Remember what we've seen back in Exodus chapter 40, at the end of Exodus, you have Moses who is unable to enter into the tabernacle because God's presence uh, represented by that glory cloud has filled the tabernacle. And what he does in, in the book of Leviticus is he, is he talks to Moses from the tabernacle, instructing Moses and instructing Israel how they are to enjoy his presence and hear how they are to bring God to remembrance, to cause God to lavish them with his blessings. What this teaches us is that God not only ordains the ends, but God ordains the means to the ends as well. 
If I could put it like this, God's promised blessing to us does not come by way of man's inventions. It rather comes to us by the inventions of the Lord himself. I think this is especially important today. There is, I think, in much of evangelicalism today, this confused notion that so long as I love God, I can approach God as I please. And the more free and inventive I am with my approach, the more, quote, authentic I am to my approach to God. And God somehow takes notice of my authenticity because, quote, unquote, it comes from the heart. But what that is actually doing is it is stripping God from his right not only to ordain the ends, but also ordain the means of how he blesses his people. Here at North Point, we call ourselves an ordinary means of grace church, an ordinary means of grace church. Really what that means is that God has given us directives as to how he will bestow his grace and his blessings upon us through prayer, singing of songs, praise and thanksgiving to God, reading and preaching God's word through the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. These are the ordinary means that God provides whereby we call for him to remember us, the means by which he blesses us in Christ, pours his unmerited favor upon us. This idea of God directing the means is also the reason we hold to what is called the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship really simply stated is that the only elements that are allowed in worship are those things that are expressly and explicitly permitted in Scripture. The only things that we use as a means to calling God to remembrance are those things that he directly commands in Scripture. This is in opposition to what is often called the normative principle of worship. The normative principle of worship teaches that anything that is not expressly prohibited in Scripture is allowed within worship. But I want us to note the irony of the normative principle of worship. Quite frankly, that principle is found pretty much everywhere except within Reformed churches today. I want us to, to see the irony of that normative principle of worship Because while it supposedly champions our freedom and our worship to the Lord, what it actually does is makes us slaves to our own whims and fancies. It actually creates a greater confusion for worshipers concerning us and our relationship with God because we approach God in a way that he himself has not prescribed. As we come to church and sit under the word read and preached under the word, prayed, sung, set forth in sacraments, we are calling for the Lord to shower us with the blessings of the new covenant that is sealed in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And we do so through the means that God himself has established, through the means that God himself 
has commanded in Scripture. So we see that this calls forth God's blessing. It calls forth God's favor towards his people. And it is God that gives the direction as to how he is to be called to remembrance and bless his people. Second, the grain offering brings honor to God. The grain offering brings honor to God. Everything in this offering really reflects the God that is being offered to. Verse 2, you have this phrase, fine flour. This was well-ground flour. It was it was the best flower, if you will. We mentioned in our unison reading of Scripture the, the, the costly gift of frankincense. It was an extremely costly product, and, and it is mentioned oftentimes alongside of gold, as we see in Isaiah 60, verse 6. It would enhance also the pleasing aroma offered to the Lord, and frankincense was specifically tied oftentimes, as we've already mentioned in our unison reading of Scripture, as a gift that would be given to the king. This is a meal that is fit for a king. Verse 11, God says that no grain offering should have leaven in it. Now, leaven often involved a a, a kind of decay through fermentation, And what it would often uh, resemble for the people of Israel was mortality and impurity. And here also honey is prohibited because honey was susceptible to fermentation and therefore also would carry the symbolic meaning of being susceptible to immortality and impurity. Not only is this a meal that is fit for a king, but it is fit for a holy, immortal, pure, and everlasting king. The meal pointed to Yahweh, the king of heaven. It pointed to the God of Israel as the only God that is worth serving. Now that's important because in the previous book in Exodus, Exodus 19 verse 6, Israel is called to be a kingdom of priests. Their worship to Yahweh, their worship to the Lord of the covenant was to be a light to the nations around them. The way they worshiped Yahweh was to cause the pagan nations surrounding them to say, who is this God that you serve? And they were to be drawn to the Lord of the covenant in Israel. Imagine for a moment if you saw a friend getting dinner ready for a guest. And you had no idea who that that guest was. But you saw your friend get out the the finest dishes and silverware, the, the dishes and silverware that they only get out for special occasions. They go out and they get the best cut of meat, the most expensive wine. They put on, if they're a guy, their best suit. If they're a woman, their best dress. And you see all the preparations for this gift and or for this guest, and you would you would think to yourself, you would be you would be inspired to ask, who is this guest? Who is this guest that you are preparing yourself for? And you might yourself feel compelled to prepare yourself for this important guest. 
But imagine for a moment the opposite took place. You see your friend in sweatpants, puts out paper plates, paper cups. He's not showered. He gets out microwavable food. He doesn't tidy up his house. You certainly wouldn't be compelled to ask, who is this guest? And you certainly wouldn't seek to prepare yourself for him. This is just an average Joe that I can sort of relax with. But isn't that the way we so often serve God? We serve him as though he is our equal, just an old friend that I can relax with. We serve him in a common way, with no honor and respect for his high office as Lord of the universe, and no respect for him, the one from whom all blessings flow. And really, that is the tragedy that we see so often within churches today of mixing common things with holy worship that is to be rendered unto God. It elicits no wonder and awe at the awesome nature of the God that we come each and every Sunday to worship. It elicits no question, who is this God? Who is this one that you prepare yourself for? that you give your best to. He's so often served with paper plates and microwavable food, treated as a common friend. And that might elicit someone to say, wow, what a cool God. What a God I can feel relaxed with, a God I can sort of just be myself around. But it certainly won't elicit any wonder at the awesome nature of his makeup as the one who provides us with all things from his gracious hand. What we are going to see with all these sacrifices in Leviticus is that God is not on equal footing with us. He is above us. He is above us, and what he expects of his servants is service that reflects his high office as Lord of the universe and as new covenant Christians, as the one who has stripped himself of all his glory in order to come down and serve us in the flesh and die and lay down his life for us and for our sins. Our service to him ought to reflect his high office as the high king of heaven. Third and finally, the grain offering promises, uh, the grain offering conveys the promise of God. The grain offering brings the promise of God. Verse 13, we read, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now that phrase, salt of the covenant, is only used two other times in Scripture. First, it's used in Numbers 15, 9, and there it refers to God's covenant commitment to Aaron and the high priesthood and all of Aaron's descendants. But then it's used again in 2 Chronicles 13, 5, this time referring to God's covenant commitment to David 
and to all his descendants. Both times that phrase refers to God and his commitment and his steadfastness to the covenant that he establishes with his people. Salt being a preservative was meant to emphasize the enduring nature of the covenant bond that God binds himself to with his people. The grain offering, therefore, served as sort of this two-way remembrance. We saw already in our first point that it was meant to bring God to remembrance of the people. But here we see that the grain offering also served to remind the people of God's saltiness, his commitment to his covenant that he has established with his people. It served to remind Israel that this is the God of faithfulness, the God of steadfast love, a God who is committed to his promises that he binds himself to by way of covenant. And this was to be an encouragement for the Israelites to press on in faith as they are reminded of God's steadfast love and his commitment to them. Consider the context of Leviticus. Where is it that Israel is during Leviticus? They are in the desert. They are making their way to the promised land, and by adding salt to the grain offering, it would be a reminder to them that this promised land is coming from the God who upholds and is committed to his promises. It is the encouragement of Joshua 1.9 in physical, tangible form. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The salt is a reminder that God is with his people. In the midst of the desert, in the midst of the war, he is with you. Be strong and courageous and persevere because God preserves you in the covenantal bond he has bound himself to. Think for a moment of Jesus' words at the Lord's Supper. This is the blood of the covenant. Drink all of it in remembrance of me. What is the Lord's Supper but a reminder to us of God's steadfastness toward us, of God's saltiness to us, of his covenant commitment to us as we participate in the Lord's Supper. We are being reminded that God has so bound himself to us that he has established his commitment to us in the blood of his only begotten son. It is a reminder to us as we taste of that physical food and that physical drink that God has committed himself to us. He is steadfast. He is salty because he has established his covenant with us in the blood of his only son. And it is to be an encouragement to us to press on brothers and sisters, 
come each and every Sunday and feed on the ordinary means of grace. That is God's directive. That is God's means of encouraging you and reminding you of his love and his commitment to you. Sunday is important. It's the day where he feeds you with himself and reminds you of his covenant commitment to you. But I want us to consider one last thing here with this point. And that is that this is an offering to the Lord. This is an offering to the Lord. Yet in the offering, the Lord God himself is offering himself to the people. He says, sprinkle salt on my meal, not for my benefit, but for yours. As Israel serves God, God serves Israel. As we serve God, God serves Israel us. Why is it so often that you hear people who go on mission trips and they come back? You hear it all the time, don't you? I feel like I got more out of it than I gave. Why is that? It's because God has so ordered our service to him that as we serve him, he is serving us. God's command that his image bearers glorify and serve him in all that we do is not a cold-hearted, prideful, selfish command. It is a gracious and loving command because we have been created to glorify and serve God. And in glorifying and serving God, he serves us with his presence with the joy of his presence, with the peace of his steadfast love and commitment to us in the blood of his son that establishes his steadfast commitment to the new covenant and all those that are held under it. Press on. Feed on the ordinary means of grace. Don't look for something that is so extravagant and wonderful. Don't look for amazing things to come your way. God has given ordinary means by which to encourage you and remind you of his love for you so that we would press on and make our pilgrimage journey to our heavenly home. Let's pray. Our dear Father, we thank you that you are a God of covenant, that you are a God that condescends so low, and that you bind yourself to us by means of a covenantal bond so that we might have union and communion with you, the high King of heaven. And we thank you, O Lord, that you do not leave us to ourselves to figure out how we are to worship you, how to call you to remembrance, But you give us the directives, the ordinary means as to how we are to call and to plea for you to shower us with your blessings. Oh, you are a good and gracious and holy God. And might we serve you all our days 
as you truly are. Might our service reflect who you are and the nature of your awesome and wondrous makeup, the one who is garbed in the splendor of majesty. Be honored and glorified through your saints and our service rendered unto you. This we pray and we ask in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing hymn, Hallelujah, Thine the Glory. 